Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to my change of scenery. I'm in my kid's room. <laughs> I, uh, I was away at a wedding for Thanksgiving. And uh, my, my kid likes uh, this uh, computer game on here. So I moved my computer upstairs and I went, well, I'll just do it there today. Uh, so anyways, welcome. Welcome to B-Sides. We are in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, we will be picking up at verse 24. Uh, I, I just want to read this uh, section and then uh, pick out some things that I think uh, will be fun to study together. Um. Verse 24, Matthew 17. When they came to Capernaum, the tax collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast the hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Give that and give it, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. <clears throat> this is a typically a one-time tax that all faithful Israeli Jewish people would pay, um, here, Peter pays it. So this is telling us that Peter hasn't paid this temple tax before, which should tell you sort of the economic position he's been in his whole life. Um, he, he hasn't been in a position to give a half a shekel uh, to the temple. And so I, I think maybe this is a little glimpse into the poverty uh, at the life of fishermen and the Sea of Galilee under Roman occupation in this time. <clears throat> Chapter 18. And at that time, the disciples, and again, at that time is connecting what we just read to this. The disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom temptation comes. Notice there's a chiastic structure there in verse 7. Uh, woe to the world for, uh, for temptations to sin, A. And now B, for it is necessary that temptations come back to A, but woe to the one, two woes to the one by whom temptation comes. So we have A, B, A, uh, woe to the world for temptations to sin. And uh, it's a doubly woe for the one by whom the temptation comes from. So there's horrors from sin in the world. And the one who brings that sin is is 
in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, and the focal point there, but it is for it is necessary that temptations come. That's the focal point of that verse there, uh, which I find very interesting. It ties into to my thinking and uh, suffering produces character, character, hope. Um, or character, suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. Uh, and so God uses these sufferings to mature us. Uh, verse eight, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better for you to, for, uh, for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father. Okay. This is interesting. We want to pause here. Is this verse section telling us that every person has a guardian angel? Because that's what a lot of people get from this. That everyone has a guardian angel or specifically children uh, have guardian angels or, or all of God's people have guardian angels. Well, we know from Hebrews 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 14, that there are angels who minister to us. And this is no surprise to us because after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, the angels came and ministered to Jesus. Uh, again, I think this is pointing to the humanity of Jesus. So um, certainly that's modeled there. Uh, but are we to believe that every person has a guardian angel? That's the question. Well, if that's what this is saying, this is a new development in the scriptures. Uh, and to my knowledge, there is nowhere else in the Bible that seems to say that for every person, there is an angel. Now, that could be what this is saying, uh, but if it is, it seems to be a new development. Uh, that's not personally what I don't think this is saying. Uh, I was reading Don Carson's book on Matthew, and he uh, cites Warfield's position, and he, he was in agreement with it, that Warfield thinks that the angels are the little one's spirits. That word for always, see the face of my father, that word always can mean therefore. Okay, so, and the word angel, we know, as we've been going through Revelation, the word angel, angelos, means messengers. And sometimes messengers are angels, and sometimes they're just human messengers. Um, uh, it possibly can even be the Holy Spirit at times. So this this text literally can read, For I tell you that in heaven their messengers, therefore, see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And Warfield thinks this means the little one's souls will see God and give an account. That the soul, our souls, will bear witness, will give message to God when we are in heaven. When a little one dies, when any of us dies, we will stand before God and give an account. We will be angeloses. We will be messengers to testify to things that were done. And woe to the one that caused them to sin, that brought sin to them. So this may mean we all have guardian angels, but this may also mean that when people die, uh, they will bear witness to the sins of evil people and influencers. Uh, 
And that doesn't mean that angels don't help us or guard us. They do. We see that in other portions of scripture. But it's just not necessarily that this verse definitely means uh, that every person has a singular angel assigned to them. Though that may be the case, that that doesn't necessarily, this verse isn't concretely saying that. Uh, So we want to be careful there. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Two thoughts. First, communism. (laughs) This section of Jesus leaving the the ninety nine, uh, we we see that in in Luke in Luke's uh, Luke fifteen, uh, the 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 parable of the lost sheep. Um, Jesus gave these teachings of leaving ninety nine sheep to go and search for the one, and this is directly uh, opposed to communism. That the 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 one must suffer for the good of the whole, you know. And a lot of communistic thinking, it's like, okay, well, the one ran away. Sometimes you got to sacrifice the one percent for the good of the uh, of of all the brothers, of all the comrades, of all the sheep. And so I'm not going to put the 99 at risk because the one has gone off in some place, which is why you see such horrible persecution under socialism and communism. Um, of particular people groups, you know, we see that right now in China with the uh, with the uh, the Muslims, how they're treating them over there, and, and certain ethnic groups, uh, they're, they're just absolutely brutalizing them because, well, <laughs> this one percent isn't they think differently than the than the ninety nine, and so they must be dealt with for the good of the whole. Um, but here we see that Jesus' teaching is antithetical to that, that he puts the 99 uh, uh, in one place so that he may go and search for the one. And here's the beautiful part. If the one doesn't have any, if the one is not protected, then neither are the 99. Because if one of the 99 now run away, now they are good as dead. But if, if God is willing to go after, if the shepherd's willing to go after the one that ran astray, then the 99 are infinitely more secured, not put at jeopardy, because now if something happens to any one of them, the shepherd will do the same thing that he did for the one that ran astray. And so what we see is that Jesus does the exact inverse of what we see in a lot of capital or communistic societies here. Uh, that because there is so much value placed on the individual, there's infinitely more security upon the community. Which is how Jesus talks about these things. So uh, really fun to look at, to me anyways. Secondly, I'd like to circle back to the not giving of offense here. Uh, This this is a really big topic uh, for me. I was talking to my dad this morning because what what's happening in America? The church is shrinking, and there will always be big churches and mega churches. And, you know, the, the, these things will, they'll come and go. I mean, it's still over sixty percent of America identifies as Christian. I mean, there's so many Christians in America, um, but but the church is 
getting smaller percentage-wise. And it's becoming less and less popular to be Christian. And what's going to start happening is all the people on the fringes are going to start falling away and slowly God's faithful remnant. We're going to get closer and closer and closer together. And it is in these close-knit groups that all of these divisions that have happened across the American church are going to become increasingly, uh, it, it needs to be increasingly more important that we put these divisions to rest. It's so silly that people are willing to war over uh, all of these little differences. Um, And and these divisions are not going to be tenable as the church gets driven together. Um, You know, I I don't even talk to anyone who smokes a cigarette. (laughs) Like, that's going to have to go, those things. Um, you know, and, and some of maybe the lesser doctrines, uh, you know, the, the second, third tier things, not, you know, not Jesus. You can't say, well, Jesus didn't rise from the dead bodily and Jesus did. I mean, there, there's there's something that, that's central and that's a break in fellowship. But there are other things, you know, that, that maybe we shouldn't be clubbing each other over. And so I I think this is important that we start thinking about tyranny of the weaker brother and not giving offense and how do we get along in unity with with brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. And so I want to I want to lock back in one more time on Jesus talking about not giving offense. Now, Jesus says that he doesn't need to pay the tax. But then he pays this temple tax in order to not offend the tax collectors. And, and again, if you've spent any significant amount of time in the gospel, you know that Jesus does not seem to be afraid to offend anybody. <laughs> and then when we get in, especially when we get in the Passion Week, do you remember? You know, because you might be able to build the argumentation that Jesus was so respectful here or, or was so willing to not give offense because the temple was the subject. But when we get into Passion Week, Jesus is going to announce that the whole temple is going to be destroyed. So, so this not wanting to to make offense seems kind of odd when you're reading Jesus's story. Now, I, I'm I'm sure there's more to this story. Uh, in fact, that you know this was a good tax, um, and so maybe that's part of why he doesn't want to give offense because they're doing a good thing. Uh, maybe these are good guys that just are confused or figuring something out, and so he wants to be gentle with them. Um, you know, also, if this if this is a good tax and God's people should pay this tax, then maybe Jesus in his divinity didn't need to pay this tax because he is a, the, the son of God, the son of man. Uh, he and the Father are one, but also Jesus in his humanity, Jesus truly God and truly man, maybe Jesus uh, should pay the tax in his humanity. And so here he is fulfilling all the works of the law or acts of righteousness he's fulfilling. So there's lots of different elements we can point out of why Jesus wanted to pay this tax, but the, the context that Jesus gives is not giving offense. So certainly what, what we can gather from this is Jesus in an effort to not give an, uh, give an offense, is willing to personally, to not offend others, to give up his own personal rights, to give up his own personal freedoms for the sake of the other. 
He doesn't need to pay the tax, yet he pays the tax in order to not offend. Now, one of the things that make this section so powerful to me is how Jesus is living out his own teaching here, like we see in Matthew 5. So I want to read you a little section of the Sermon on the Mount here um, that's going to read exactly like what we just read. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, and of course, I don't want to get into a preaching on Matthew 5 right now, but you know, Jesus is always breaking down the traditions of men that we build. And, and that's, again, the heart of why I wanted to talk about the tyranny of the weaker brother. We've built non-biblical traditions that are being, that are, are sources of disunity. And, and we need to, as the church is kind of driven into an arc together, <laughs> we need to not fight over the traditions of men. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to give him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We are not obligated to do these things. But the godly are quick to forgo their rights to make peace, to be godly, to exhibit Christ-likeness, to go the extra mile for others. And I can tell you personally that on two totally different occasions, I had someone say some pretty nasty things about me and to me. And it was within my right to let them have it back. <laughs> it really was. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, I took it on the chin. I didn't say anything. I, I didn't, didn't fire back. I just took it. And sometime later, they wound up, in both of these instances, coming back to church. And without me saying anything to them, I was just, hi, how you doing? Without me saying anything to them, they apologized. And I ended up actually growing a great relationship with both of these individuals. Totally separate uh, occurrences here. And, and here Jesus is, is teaching Peter, is teaching us that sometimes the Christian needs to take a stand, but sometimes the Christian needs to give up his ground to reach the lost and turn the other cheek. Because God will use those things. If the Spirit of God is at work, he will use your self-sacrifice to reach them. And sometimes the more mature need to go the, that extra mile, which is what I talked about on Sunday. Now, <clears throat> that being said, there will always be weaker brothers in the church. There will always be new converts. And I don't mean weak as if as I as if deficient. I mean weak as maybe immature or babies in the faith. To come to faith in Jesus Christ, literally John 3 means to be born again. I don't know any strong babies. <laughs> They, 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 there is a weakness in a new convert. Paul even says, don't use a new convert too quickly lest they become puffed up and fall. There, there's, there isn't that deep-rooted maturity yet in the life of the new believer. And so there's a weakness there. And there, and there will always be new converts in the church that the strong need to reach and the strong need to be sensitive towards. And what I mean by strong is not great. What a strong, I mean, they've walked with the Lord long enough. God has done enough work in their weakness 
to have them understand who God is, what he desires. They, they've spent time in the word. They're men and women of prayer. Uh, they can give godly counsel, not vain counsel. Okay, We need to be sent. So the strong, the mature need to be sensitive towards the weak, the, the new believer. But there also comes a time when someone has been coming to church for years to where they need to mature. There comes a time when the weaker brother needs to grow in godliness and unity and self-sacrifice. I want to give a a silly example here. I think it'll take the, the edges off of what I'm trying to say. And this can apply to wine, beer, Christmas music, television, radio. Let's say, silly time, let's say you just came out of a Thanksgiving turkey cult. We're in Thanksgiving and you were in a turkey cult. <laughs> and you in this turkey cult worshipped turkeys. And then let's say you got saved and someone in the church, out of the kindness of their heart, they invite you over to their Thanksgiving dinner now that you're no longer in the cult. And their whole family's going to be there. The cousins are going to be there. Grandma's making the mashed potatoes. Uh, the, the other grandma's making the stuffing and the gravy. And other people from the church are going to be there. And now you are invited to the Thanksgiving dinner. You should not respond to the invitation with, oh, thank you so much. Great. I'll be thou how I'll be there. However, please don't have any turkey as it will stumble me. <laughs> now, it would be one thing, okay? It would be one thing if the elders of the church knew this person came out of a particular turkey cult. And then if someone from that church said, Oh, I want to smoke some turkeys for fellowship after church on Sunday. Then the elders may say, you know what? We have someone here who struggles with turkeys. Uh, why don't we do brisket instead? And that, that might probably be the right thing to do for a Sunday service, Sunday worship fellowship for the good of this brother or sister. Okay. However, it's another thing if it's in someone's home for dinner. It is at that point that the weaker brother, if he can absolutely, if he absolutely can't be around Turkey to serve the group by not coming rather than demanding the 30 serve them. If there is no sin biblically, and believe me, I've checked, the Bible is not anti-Turkey. <laughs> when the weaker brother needs to, the, 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 then the weaker brother needs to work at maturity. So both the weaker and the stronger brothers and sisters need to be working at serving each other and being charitable with each other. As they both grow in Christ, they both need to grow stronger like Christ. Now, in the example, our turkey example, <laughs> the mature may say, well, that's okay. You know what? Come anyways. We, we don't need turkey. And that would be an act of, of absolute Christ-likeness. That would be beautiful. But at the same time, I don't, I do not think that the, the, the host is obligated to not serve turkey. <laughs> that this, what Jesus is saying here is not an open-ended command to be under the tyranny of difficult people. 
If you remember in the gospel, remember the Pharisees were offended that Jesus' disciples didn't fast more? You know, and they were desiring a good thing, fasting, right? That Sure. And Jesus responds by, by basically saying, there will come a time where they fast, but not now. And the Pharisees left offended. So Jesus didn't let their tyranny stop their feasting because it would have been inappropriate. Uh, here's a big one, and I, I may get in trouble for this one, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. In 1 Corinthians, <coughs> so it's the same letter that I connected to on Sunday about not eating meat. Some weaker brothers in Corinth had a problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul's counsel was to not eat meat. Uh, and, and presumably, I would assume, not around these brothers and not at church functions. Um, and that was his advice. Let's abstain for the good of the weaker brother. But then at the same time, same church they had a problem with alcohol. There were those who had a problem with alcohol and they were getting drunk. They just couldn't contain themselves. They were getting drunk. Now, you would assume Paul would say, okay, let's not drink anymore. But that's not what Paul says. Paul's advice to them was, no, 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 drink less. <laughs> so we have within the same framework, the same, the same church, the same context, two totally different applications to the heart of God to two very similar situations. And one, Paul said, okay, let's give up a little ground. And the other, Paul says, no, you need to grow up. <laughs> it's not everyone's job to quit drinking alcohol because you have a problem. You need to grow up and drink less alcohol if you got a problem with alcohol. And so again, as we study the life of Jesus, the Bible, that there is this, there's a beautiful thing called context that we need to keep in mind. And sometimes the strong need to, to meet the weak. And sometimes it, it comes time where the weak need to grow up. You know, I, I love this. Uh, I think it's in John 8. I might be wrong on that. It might be John 6 or 7. <clears throat> Jesus is building this huge crowd and you can say, and you know, the disciples are getting fired up. They're excited. And then Jesus, a switch happens. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts giving these really hard sayings. And the people got so discouraged, they all started to leave. And then Jesus looked at the disciples and goes, well, are you going to leave too? And they said, essentially, well, God, where are we going to go? <laughs> we, we are we've dedicated to follow you. And, and I, I think part of what Jesus was doing there was, okay, They've accepted that I can make it multiply fish and bread. They've accepted that I can heal people. They've accepted some of my teachings. They've accepted that we need to love one another. They've accepted that we need to go the extra mile for one another. Now let's talk about laying down your life for me. Let's talk about going the extra mile. Well, let's talk about hard things. And Jesus starts laying on them harder truths. And it starts thinning the crowd out. And I believe part of what Jesus was doing was saying, who's really with me? Because it was time for the weak to grow mature. And many people rejected that maturity. You know, we see this all the time, even today in churches. Most people don't want to go to churches that challenge them. They want to go to churches that make them feel good. 
We have no reason to think otherwise that most of these people, if they were there at the time of Jesus, when he started talking about harder sayings, many of these people would walk away because Jesus wasn't Jesus enough for them. (laughs) Uh, And so there's a maturity that has to come on the weaker brother. And it should come on in increments, but it should come. And they need to mature and they need to grow up. And so for us, when someone is just being plain old difficult, and we all have difficult people in our lives, like like Jesus and Paul, we, we shouldn't mind putting our foot down sometimes and saying no. Thinking of our story of these two tax collectors who are collecting a good tax, who are doing a good thing, who may not even be difficult. Now, maybe they are. Maybe they are trying to trick Jesus, but... Anyways, what they're working towards is a good thing. Well, we see that Jesus was willing for them to give up his rights because they had no idea. Jesus knew. (laughs) They had no idea that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, the temple was no longer going to be needed for God's people. God's people weren't going to need this temple in, what, what is it, 30 years. In 30 years, the temple was not needed they, 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 because we are the temple. God's people are the temple. The body of Christ is the temple of which we are many members of one. We're a part. And so in, in their ignorance, because they didn't know the plans of God, of course, but in their ignorance, Jesus didn't say, well, I'm not going to pay the tax because the Romans are going to burn it down. No, but in their ignorance, he didn't cause them offense because they were still doing a good thing. And as the stronger, and so Jesus asked the stronger brother, he went the extra mile for those who didn't understand yet. And maybe they never will. But, but he was gentle with them in their ignorance. And so I think there's a lot for us to gather and learn from here. Uh, and, and this is definitely one of those portions of scripture of which we, it's good to understand it and it's better to apply it. Or I guess it's in tandem with it. It's so important that we, imp- we apply it. Um, and not, and not, (laughs) and not club each other (laughs) because maybe we don't understand yet. Uh, maybe we need to grow up a little, maybe, and by God's grace, he will. And growing up is, I remember growing up, so I'm six foot seven or I'm six, six now because I lost the disc. And I remember, I remember by the time I went into the sixth grade, I was six foot tall. I was a giant child, but I remember in like the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I was growing so fast. I remember my bones hurt. I remember my legs would just be achy some days because I was growing so fast. And my mom goes, "Uh oh, you got growing pains." And and there's a sense that as God matures us, it's oh, it can be a little icky and hard, and we gotta wrestle through some texts and ideas, and sometimes God's gotta break some idols in our lives. But to the glory of God, He does strengthen us, and He keeps on us, and He grows us. And part of the reason He grows us not only so that we may be more Christ-like, but that then we may be able to be the stronger brothers and sisters to reach the weaker brothers and sisters, places in places where we were not too long ago. So anyways, let's pray for the uh, for the week here and we'll get rolling. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We ask that you would guide and protect us. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
God, help us to not be sources of division or temptation, but help us to be your faithful people, humble and lowly and eager to serve. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name, and we love you, and we thank you. Grow us in love and thankfulness, and of course, humility. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. I'll see you in a bit, or Sunday. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word, to live the Word, to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.